the second. Okay, now I gotta hop over to Instagram. Hey everyone, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. Today is the fourth Monday of the month, which means it's time for Dr. Brooke Goldner of Goodbye Lupus. She has an amazing new book out. I'm going to put the link below in both the chat in the show notes, you have to order it. It's called Goodbye Lupus, Hello Delicious. It's some of her greatest recipes. It's already been a bestseller since it first debuted in so many categories. And she's here today on the third week of the new year to talk about why New Year's resolutions don't work. It's a great topic because most people have already given theirs up. Please welcome back. Exactly. That's what I thought. We're coming in third week. Let's talk about those resolutions. Where'd they go? Yeah. What, what I love about you, Dr. Goldner, of course, I mean, your work with you know autoimmune disease, I'm putting that aside. It's that you're one of the doctors that really talks about, you know, the, the other components about, you know, the mental, the spiritual, whatever you want to call it. A lot of doctors just take the medicine, take, you know, take the protocol and you give those, but you, you talk about the mindset. And I think that's where a lot of people have trouble. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm kind of built for it. You know, it's one of those things where I lean on everything I've ever learned and experienced in order to help people. Right. So I have the original background of being a sick kid with lupus. Right. So I know what it's like to be a patient. I know what it's like to be on horrific amounts of medicines to survive. So I understand that pain. And a lot of times doctors don't. Right. They went to school. They're smart, but they don't really know the life of a patient. Um, and also one of the things that I did have to learn being sick so young is that we have a choice between how we spend our lives and, uh, and whether or not we, how we look at ourselves, how we treat ourselves emotionally, uh, whether we're hopeful or whether we're depressed, like everything has to do with perspective. And so when I was able to not only get, you know, chemotherapy for two years and be on seven meds a day, dealing with kidney failure and, you know, the arthritis and all those different things, and also still continue to get my straight A's, still continue, you know, to get my scholarship to college, all that stuff took a tremendous amount of focus, hope, belief in myself, and a willingness to treat my illness as an obstacle rather than an identity. And so when it came to the point, I never thought I actually would, you know, find a, a way to heal lupus. That wasn't, I, I did for a minute. I, I, I did genetic research for a couple of years, well, three years. Turns out I don't like doing research. It's very lonely. <laughs> You're just in the lab with the DNA um, and results are slow and I'm a very social person. Um, but after I gave up the genetic research, I was originally an MD PhD student actually. And then I just decided I want to focus on the clinical because I thought that my powers would be best used in helping people, not only with my ability to diagnose and treat through medical intervention, but to help patients hold on to hope and still live lives that had purpose and passion in spite of being sick. And I knew how to do that personally, knew how to do that. So that what that's what led me into uh, specializing in trauma, uh, psychiatry and neurology, but specifically on helping people through severe emotional traumas and depression and grief and anxiety so that I could help them find a way to live good lives. Because what I found through my hospital training, even as a medical student, was that the people who were hopeful, happy, who had people around them giving them love, they recovered often when medically we thought they wouldn't. And then there were people who had minor illnesses that passed away who just, you know, struggled to recover, who had higher levels of pain than we would typically see for that illness. 
And I realized all of it was related to that emotional well-being. So that's why I chose that path. And then I end up healing from the lupus because of nutrition. And then when I go to teach the world, I'm like, here, have my protocol for free. I find the reason people don't do the protocol is because of their depression, their anxiety. So yeah, everything I've ever been through, recovered from, was resilient to, uh, trained in, I give all of that with all my heart to people every day. And that's been, um, that, and that's why I teach it because I know that nutrition is not just about knowledge. Um, people could, there's plenty of knowledge out there already where people could at least do better. Right. But it's about, it's all here. I just did a session with somebody this morning in the UK who's a therapist, right? But she can't, she's not eating on plan. And I asked her why, and she took the time to really tell me the answers. You know, she doesn't feel worthy. She's afraid she has to earn love and all these different kinds of things. I mean, I figured out, like, I, I named it. She told me the feelings and I named it. But once we know the reason and we can get rid of the excuses and get rid of the self-sabotage, then suddenly you realize how easy the food is. <laughs> like, oh, so now I can just eat this, right? But all of this, this gets in the way of the fork and the mouth. It's all in, in the mind. Um, and so, yeah, I teach people happiness and hopefulness and gratitude and once they feel that way, food can just be a tool. But if you're depressed, you're anxious, you're bereft, you're insecure, all of those things, suddenly it's got so much more riding on it and it becomes so much more of a struggle. Yeah, because a lot of people know what to do, but they don't do it for a variety of reasons. Maybe they're living with somebody that sabotages them or like you say, they don't feel worthy. Oh, yeah. I know many people I see, they invested in an appointment with me. And the first thing they say is, I've read all your books. I go to your lives every Wednesday. I'm there at your lives. I, I, I've watched all of your YouTube videos. And then we get to their food and they had a burger and fries. I'm like, okay, come on. Why? Why? Right? They know what to do, but they need to talk to me for me to help them see what's in the way. Right? And I think that sometimes it's oversimplified and people get shamed for not doing what they should. I've even seen people shamed at conferences by the speaker, you know? And it's like, you're not understanding that there's so much, it's not that they're just lazy, they're hurting and they need someone to see them and to help them up and help them to the table. And, and that's what I try to do. You know, I was curious, cause like, I would love to take your program but I don't have an autoimmune disease and I kind of eat pretty close to you. Like, do you have programs for people like me that would just like to work with you on that piece? Because <laughs> Sounds amazing. That's really kind. Um, you know, we do have like in my current, so I work with people with really, I always say for, for my programs, especially rapid recovery, all you need is motivation. I don't think you need rapid recovery, you're not healing from anything specific, but I do do private sessions for people on, on wellness and I still do therapy, um, especially people in, you know, if you're in California, Hawaii, Texas or abroad, but my rapid recovery group, we have quite a number of people join simply for food addiction. And actually right now, we have uh, three people in my current group who specifically came for obesity and food addiction. And uh, the, the level of support is life-changing to switch it from shaming to understanding to loving yourself enough to start again. Um, my husband was just doing some amazing coaching with someone on Friday who's that's her issue is food addiction. And he helped her realize that on the day that she got like her hair done and got a scalp massage and enjoyed talking to somebody that she actually ate better. You know, and so now he's helping her incorporate these activities that make her feel whole and loved and seen. And she eats better when she does that. So we, we help people with whatever they need. So we have a wide variety. We've had people do the program who just don't want to get what their parents had. Like everyone in my family is diabetic. I'm going to do this. But for someone who's otherwise healthy, thin and trim, 
usually uh, they choose to do, you know, other private personal things, but I've definitely seen people, I have a doctor, a lifestyle medicine doctor actually, who does my group every year just to refresh herself and remind herself of how to take care of herself, you know? So it, ha- it definitely is something people do um, because the emotional work is so essential. And what people always say is learning to be happy actually is more valuable to me than the fact that I don't have arthritis anymore or that my blood pressure is normal. It's, it's the most important thing we have, right? Is, is our, is, is our emotional health, right? Because you can limp on a painful leg, but if you're otherwise happy and grateful for your life, you're still glad to be here and you can have a body that's whole. And if all you can feel is broken emotionally, you don't want to be here. So I do think it's, it's one of the most important parts of healing, not just because of your diet, but your quality of life. Yeah. How, how do you help people with trauma? In, I mean, in a group setting, because isn't, isn't it sometimes so personal that like, maybe they don't want to share it? Like, would that be better for like a one-on-one? Cause you know, there's some people that don't believe in trauma, not that they don't believe in it, that it didn't happen, but they, even people on the show that believe it doesn't really make a difference to our life today. Wow. I have never heard someone say that, but that's definitely someone who has uh wow, very little insight into human emotion. I mean, that is a cruel thing to say. So what are they making it up? Actually, trauma has a physiological effect on the brain itself. I mean, it changes the way the brain functions um, in terms of neurotransmitters, size of the amygdala, the emotional part of the brain. I mean, this is neuroscience. Trauma very clearly has an effect physically and physiologically on the brain. So uh, anyone who says that doesn't understand the physiology of the brain, which not everyone is board certified in neurology. I get that. But uh, to say it when you don't know is kind of scary to me Um, and and invalidating, supremely invalidating. So PTSD is a is a real condition. um, And trauma is uh, is absolutely a real condition. It is it is the it is when a person undergoes something that is so horrific and terrifying that it affects every function of their body right? From their heart rate to their brain function, to their experience of even being in their own body, to their belief in the safety of the world, their ability to feel happiness. Um, It is something that can be both acute, right? In the moment, you can go through a trauma. We call that acute stress disorder, where you can have all the symptoms of reliving and racing heartbeat and, and depression, anxiety that's acute because it just happened, but then it kind of fades away. And then if it continues on those symptoms for more than three months, then it's called a chronic condition called post-traumatic stress disorder, where they continue to live that. Uh, So it is a real condition and it causes immense suffering and disability. So um, anyone who's ever heard otherwise, who's experienced trauma, please don't listen to anything else. I mean, it is a real condition. So I've helped people both privately and in in my group setting. Um, In the group setting, so uh, it's really something where one, the group is a safe place. Uh, I've been running it since 2017, and it has always been a place of safety. So uh, each person is getting individual feedback daily, um, and then, but others can see it if they want to. But I think most people are self—they're working on their stuff. But it is, you know, that's what that's what you decide. That's what's designed for you know that people can join as a group to get group support as well. And then we have live Zoom meetings where people come on to get coaching. And, uh, and everyone stays on to, to listen and learn from it. Um, more people with trauma have autoimmune disease than the regular population. Um, we know that trauma causes severe amounts of depression and anxiety. Depression and anxiety has been shown through studies 
to dramatically raise inflammation markers. When inflammation markers are high, you have higher risk of heart attack, autoimmune disease, all sorts of things. Actually, people in mourning tend to have some of the highest inflammatory markers. And there's so many people that I've seen who had developed autoimmune disease right after the death of a loved one. So, uh, so it's actually physically an inflammatory condition. So whatever your genetics are for a disease, you're gonna press the gas pedal on those if you've experienced severe trauma and especially develop a chronic disorder like PTSD. So, um, so there's a lot of people in the group already that understand trauma, they've been through trauma, they have anxiety and depression. So I think there's a lot of love and caring there. It's a support group, you know? Um, and people also, um, there's daily videos that I have every day that are specifically for mental health. Um, and so I always say the more my voice is in your head, the less you listen to your voice. And people tend to find that I can inspire them and focus them. And so every single day they're listening and learning from me. And when at the end of the group, when people say they can hear my voice in their head, I'm like, cool, download is complete. And now you can graduate, right? So um, changing it from that negativity and, and sense of hopelessness and overwhelm and despair to a voice of positivity and hope and reassurance plus positive coaching. So does everyone in the group publicly speak about their personal trauma in the live meetings? No, not usually. I know what they are because I know all their paperwork. I have, I know who every person is in that group intimately. Uh, I go through their stuff, um, but they do talk about like how it's impacting them and, and we, then we coach them on their depression. But some people do, some people do openly speak about um, abuse or abandonment or other things. But we know that when we're hoping one person, everyone listening is getting helped and we all uh, make an agreement to keep people's information private. So it works. It were, and actually what I find is it works better than weekly therapy because every day, it's like the difference between exercising every day and exercising once a week. You can undo once a week pretty quickly, but if it's every day, you start to see changes in a very dramatic way. So it's effective, but I, I know what I'm doing. It's, it's a, you know, being both for my expertise and we're helping people overcome trauma um, and all the experience I've had, even helping people change the effects of it on their health and their ability to eat. Um, it, I mean, I've helped many, many thousands of people at this point do it. So yeah, we have a system that works really well. And my husband's very good at it too. He's an incredible coach as well. So we do it together. And, How many, and so, are the groups every, do this, does a new group start every month? No, no, it's a six week group. So we usually, after each group, take a couple of weeks off. So it's usually like every two months. Um, we didn't, we took a break over uh, the holidays. Turns out most people don't want to work on their health over Christmas anyway. And it gives us at least one opportunity where we're not, because the group is every single day. We don't take a day off from that. So, um, so it's, it's nice to every once in a while. And then we hit people on new year's. We're like, all right, let's see. You said you're going to do this. Um, but it's every two months. So like we have a group that started January 12th. So we're, uh, 10 days in on that. And then the next one will be in March. I didn't pick the date yet. It'll be the end of, it'll probably be the, 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 either the last Friday, or the Friday before it in March. Um, I have a couple conferences that they're flying me out to in March, so I have to choose which one. Um, but yeah, we do it on a regular basis. They always, always sell out. So it's like, you know, um, and the results are amazing. I mean, when people come to the live, the final meeting, we stay on so every person can share their results. And uh, like the last meeting we did, um, every single person came on a positive result, every person, you know, um, and in many areas of their lives. And it's just such an incredible thing um, it's, it gives great meaning for my husband and I to be able to help people live better lives in, in all the different ways. Nice. How many people are in the group? We now work with 60 people. 
Wow. It's a small group. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. But every person gets personal feedback every day and help. So it's a, it's, it's a big commitment um, that we spend our time on. But like I said, it's a, it really is meaningful because when you hold people's hand every day, they get those results that they struggle with when you're like, see them once in a while, you know? So yeah, we do love doing it. Yeah, well, the people that I've heard from, like I told you before, we logged on this local lady that just every time I see her, that's all she talks about is how you've helped her with her autoimmune disease. So we know it works and you've inspired me. It's not a smoothie, Dr. Goldberg, but I don't Goldberg, I'm drinking green juice right now. It's green. Yeah. It's green. <laughs> I got my smoothie. I always have it. You know, it's, uh, yeah, it's my insurance policy now, you know. No, I feel better the more greens I have. And I think I used to have Coke Slurpees for breakfast. So um, did you want to talk a little bit about just why resolutions don't work or take questions or both? It's really up to you. Yeah, yeah. So um, so resolutions. So there's different types of motivation. And this is a lot of what I do actually in rapid recovery, uh, which is my 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 group program or a private program, is help people through the stages of motivation. So they go from kind of the initial burst to actually long-lasting motivation, right? So there's different types of motivation. And I talked about this actually in Goodbye Autoimmune Disease because that's like a lot on the emotional side of healing and why you self-sabotage. So initially when you become inspired to do something, we call that getting motivated, right? So like when you say, you know, maybe somebody watched one of your videos, uh, Chef, and, and they saw how you lost all this weight and they're like, oh, I'm gonna do that, right? And then they start and then they kind of stop, right? Or, or maybe New Year's came along and they're like, all right, New Year's, I'm going to eat a plant-based diet or I'm going to start hyper-nourishing on my plan or something like that. So there's this initial burst of motivation that's very exciting. There's a lot of excitement behind it. But that initial burst usually lasts about two weeks max. And that is why, you know, when I used to join, uh, now I, I work out either at home or in my, my local boot camp in my neighborhood, but uh, we used to belong to this gym uh, and we used to go there every morning. And I remember every January, the gym would be packed. There's, I can't find any weights. There's uh, no one, there's no treadmills open, right? For about two weeks. And then by the third week in January, it's back to the normal crew, maybe one new person stuck around, right? So why is that? There's multiple reasons, uh, looking at the, the biology of it in the mind. So after about two weeks, so most people's brains can, can stay focused and committed to something new for two weeks before old habits take over. So that's one part of it is that's kind of the lifespan of that initial burst. Now, when it comes to changing your diet, we have more things that contribute because you have that initial burst of motivation dying off. And two weeks is usually when you get the peak of cravings for the old stuff you were addicted to. So most people that I ask who, who come to see me for an appointment, for example, uh, and they'll say, I tried it, but I failed. And I'll say, how long did you last? Every single time. It is between the two and three week mark. Usually it's two weeks. Maybe it was two and a half. Every single time. No one has lasted two months and then they got cravings and stopped. If they lasted two months and stopped, something else happened, right? But when they tried and failed, two weeks. So you have that combination of the initial motivation dying off and what I call the final tantrum of the addicted mind, right? Which is happening right around that time. So what I hope people also understand is that when you get to the two week mark, it's going to be hard. So don't quit, right? That at the end of the two weeks, your brain's going to say, I can't do this anymore. This is ridiculous. I can't stop thinking about chicken. So I must need protein. Uh, no, you just like chicken. Uh, you know, like you, whatever it is, the brain's like, it's enough. I'm done. And it has this tantrum. And if you give in and you eat something bad, 
guess what? You just reset your taste buds. That's like having a cigarette after no, not smoking two weeks. Now we're done back to the beginning, right? Um, and so every time it's two weeks and I can't take it anymore and I just eat a little bit and then it starts all over again and people don't even realize that they're just reliving that two week cycle versus if you go, oh, there's that final tantrum. This is great. Once I get past these cravings, it's going to start getting better. And so what happens is by the by midway through to the end of the third week, those cravings start to taper off a bit. By the end of four weeks, if you haven't eaten anything, you shouldn't then the cravings really start to get lower. Maybe you only notice you crave it when you see it instead of thinking about it all the time. So, so you, you need to be aware of the, the natural movement of the psychology in order to get to the point where it be, starts becoming more habit forming. Most habits don't get formed until you've been consistent every day for at least 28 days, maybe a little bit more for some. So for a lot of folks, they don't realize that I haven't been consistent. I have given in sometimes. That's why the cravings aren't going away. And so you also need, so one, you need that understanding. I always remind people that if you start having cravings at two weeks, good. That means you're on track. Don't stop. The second thing that people really need is they need motivation. That's going to be more powerful than a brief emotional burst that they got from watching a cool YouTube video, right? What they need is something that's really anchored in what they want for their lives, Right. So, and that's got to be an emotional thing. It's got to be something that taps into your emotion. And when I'm working with people privately, I keep working with them till I see a tear drop, just a single tear. That's the thing, right? Because sometimes it'll be, oh, I want to wear this size clothing, but I don't feel much in there. Right. Um, whereas, or, or, you know, I'd like to not be in pain. We don't usually work for getting rid of stuff. We work for things we want to add to our life right? It's got to be something that's so powerful and meaningful for you that you're willing to get through those tantrums and willing to get through the cravings and keep doing stuff you don't want to do until you actually want to, right? That is a, being an adult or as millennials say, adulting, right? Is like that you do things you don't want to do because it's worth it. And so that's what I call your why, but I always spell it all capital Y. It's a big part of my goodbye autoimmune book. It's, it's a, the one of the most important first lessons that I hold people through in my rapid recovery group. It's all about connecting to the real thing you want for your life. And that's different for different people, you know, and the more you have, the better. Like I know for me, I want to see, you know, my son Solomon grow up and graduate and do all these amazing things in this world. I want to grow old with my husband. You know, um, I want to see all these different places in the world I still haven't been to. I want to give back and save as many people as I can. Like I have such a big amount of a why that there's a reason for me to get up every bed every morning, no matter what, and eat healthy and take care of myself and do all those things. But for some folks, their life has become so depressing and and uh isolated that it's hard for them to even think of why they want to get up every day and uh and and i work with people a lot with this i just worked with someone last week on this where her kidneys are failing and she's not eating on plan even though she knows when she's done it before lupus went away everything went away and she went back to junk and alcohol and all that stuff and now her kidneys are failing and the doctors are saying if you don't stop you'll need dialysis and she still won't eat and i said why, why don't you want to live? Because this is where we are now, right? You can get rid of all this and get your kidney function back, or you can be on dialysis. And it's all about your eating. Why? And she finally got to the point. She goes, I don't have a purpose. I don't, I stopped being able to work because of my arthritis. And I just don't really have a, I, I don't really have anything that I feel like I'm needed for or that I do or that I live for. 
that's where we got to start. Yeah. Disney- I, I, one of the things I also like, I'm oh, sorry for interrupting, but one no, no, of- no, no, that's, you have to interrupt. I'll keep going. No, no. I, well, that's another reason I like you. Cause then it gives me time to look at the chat, but a lot of, just like I said, there's some doctors that come on that don't really believe it's not that they don't believe in trauma. They don't believe it affects your life today or your ability to lose weight. Uh, uh, do you think that for some, and I like that you believe in food addiction. Do you think for some people though, it's so strong that they might still have the, I mean, cause I, I'm thinking of people I've known that seem to have a pretty strong why and reason to live, but the, the addiction was so strong. It still got them at the end. Yes. It is a real addiction. And I worked in addiction medicine for years, working with people who have addiction to, you know, um, crack and uh, methamphetamines and other types of drugs, right? Even um, prescription pain medicines, things like that. Um, And in my experience, um, people with food addiction have all of the same symptoms and it's more deadly because out of all of the people in this world, the main cause of death is not cocaine addiction or cigarette addiction uh, or methamphetamine addiction. It's food addiction, right? Heart disease. So it is 100% an addiction and the symptoms are the same, right? Even with drug addicts, they have the same pattern. They can give you a good two weeks before they start falling back, right? Because that's also long enough to feel all the feelings that you were pushing away, right? All these different things happen and that's another part of it. So I treat people with food addiction as addicts in terms of the high level of support they need. So they need the same level of support. One, to acknowledge it. I do not let them use, for example, um, romantic language around food. So for example, someone would say like, I really wanna get healthy, but I love cheese. I'm like, no, you don't. No, you don't, you're addicted to cheese. Love is something we all want in this world. So none of us are gonna give up love, right? I don't wanna give up love, love is everything. But addiction requires intervention. So we don't use romantic language. We don't say, I'm a foodie. Oh, that's cute. You're killing yourself with food. You're not a foodie. That's an addiction, right? So I'm very, I very much cut into the psychology of it because how we talk to ourselves affects how the decisions we make. And so unconsciously and consciously, I'm in there. And it's one of the reasons I've been successful in helping people with this is I recognize the language of that addiction and I, and I interrupt it. Uh-uh. This is an addiction. This is not love. If it was, then you're in an abusive relationship because I can tell you the cheese doesn't love you back. So if you're in love with a partner who's beating you and and is almost killing you by beating you to death, is that love or is that abuse? Is that codependency? Whatever it is, it requires intervention. So, So it's really important to treat it as an addiction. So what do you do? One, no romantic language around it. Two, you gotta get it away from you. An alcoholic cannot keep beer in the fridge for guests. And if your roommate is an alcoholic, then you don't keep beer in the fridge. So they need to have conversations with their families. I had a lady I just talked to. She's not willing to like ask her family not to buy that junk. Cause I'm like, it's not good for them either, but she got a lock box so they can put a lock on it where she doesn't know the code. Okay. Right. But you actually have to treat it as an addiction. So you make sure it's not handy where you can get it. You tell your friends and family. What do you do? I used to attend the anonymous meetings when I was in training to learn about what they teach and to learn how to provide support. First thing you have to do is admit it and say you're an alcoholic or an addict, right? So they have to, you have to let people know because if you don't tell people, then they're going to keep offering it to you. And if you're in a good place, you'll say no. And if you're feeling depressed or anxious or whatever that day, you might say yes. Now you've reset your taste buds, your addiction. You're back to square one. Not square one, because as long as you're still trying, you're on the board. 
right? But it's like shoots and ladders, right? Sometimes you go down to shoot and sometimes you're back up the ladder, but you got to stay on the board. So all these different things that I would do in addiction for drugs, we do that with addiction for food. You have to be open about it. And when people, so when you're going to a party, say, listen, I'm, I'm trying to overcome my food addiction, my sugar addiction. Please do not offer me anything. I'm going to bring my food. I need your support. So asking people for support and telling them what support looks like. Because some people think they're being supportive if they say, oh, you've been good, have a little. No, I can't have a little or I'm going to eat all of it. And then I'm going to feel shame to myself. And then I'm going to get depressed. I'm going to go back. So in all these different ways, we need to treat it like an addiction. Now, once somebody is well and they feel good and we've dealt with the trauma and the depression and the anxiety, they felt the success and got their results, then maybe they can start going in those places, right? Like I have a friend who has been an, who's an alcoholic who hasn't drank in like 20 years, but we went to Vegas together. We went and saw the Michael Jackson show and all that kind of stuff, but he can be in that environment without cravings, but he has been away from it for so long. He doesn't want it. He's happy with his life. Right. But if he had just stopped drinking, oh my goodness, that would not be the right city. Right. So yeah, I, I think we have to take more care and stop making it seem like it's just about willpower or motivation alone. Um, but there are scientists who have created these uh, processed products and their job is specifically to figure out how to make things more addictive. What is the right chemistry of salt, sugar, oil to make something so irresistible and to trigger so much release of dopamine in the brain, it's like you just gave them heroin and they need to go back. It, the once you pop, you can't stop is by design. So it's not about our own failures as humans, but about being really um, duped and harmed by industry and by the lack of intervention, even our own medical system to, um, to intervene to, so people can know uh, how to feed themselves correctly and how to avoid these traps. So most folks I meet are, are, are addicted for sure, and it wasn't their fault, and yet still they're the only ones who can do something about it. No, I appreciate you saying that. You know, I get, I, I'm not welcome often at vegan veg fest because I'm I'm not a fan of processed food, even if it is vegan, because I see so many people suffer with food addictions. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it's a good stepping stone. Um, and for people who, who don't have those addictions, uh, who can have those things sometimes, I think that's okay too. Right. Um, but for many people, you have to know yourself. Right. Like there are those people who can just have a drink on the weekend or just have one cigarette at the bar. And then there are those people who are going to drink every night, all day, or they're going to smoke two packs a day. Right. So people have different levels of addiction um, and or addictive tendencies. And um, if you know that you have that problem, you got to treat it that way. And I think that's the hardest part is people feel very left out. And I had someone in my group once who was feeling upset. I was more upset at her family. She's on our protocol. She's working hard. She's eating, you know, raw foods and all this stuff. And her family orders pizza for dinner. And so she's in the house and they're all eating pizza. And she wrote in for help. She goes, I need help because the pizza looks good. They're all having fun. And I feel left out. I said, okay, right now, I want you to picture that instead of everybody having pizza on their plate, they're snorting cocaine. That's why they look so happy, right? They're all snorting cocaine right now. They are high. And you know what people who are high like to do? They like to other people to get high with them because nobody wants to have that one clean person making them feel embarrassed about it, right? 
So just picture it. They're all just getting high right now and you're clean and sober. And she said that snapped her out of it. She saw it. She saw it. They're high in cheese and oil right now and they're killing themselves with it. The only time I've seen people with heart, heart attacks in the hospital as a medical student who were 35 was a bodybuilder who ate meat all day and a cocaine addict. Those were the two, right? They're literally killing themselves, but they're having fun doing it. That's how most people are. So when you become clean and sober like we are, at first, the people who are partying don't like it and you can feel left out. But eventually, um, one, you need to have, you know, get more, more friends like yourself. That's why a lot of people also benefit from things like a group, like having support, like find support, supportive community, plant-based groups and meet up, whatever. Um, but also realize that you're clean and sober and they're still killing themselves. And uh, and you don't have to kill yourself with them, though. You're allowed to do that. And then you start planning other stuff like, hey, guys, maybe you could have gone to the pizza place and not brought it into the house when I'm one week sober. <laughs> like, and that's about asking for support. You know? That's what I see when I used to work with people is the biggest problem. The obstacle wasn't that they couldn't do the diet or didn't enjoy it. It was the, uh, the people that they were living with. Yeah. You have to talk to them. Like I said, if it was an alcohol issue, it would be obvious, right? But when it's a sugar addiction, people think, oh, you should just be. Just push yourself away problem. from the table. Yeah. I, it just, that it just drives me crazy today. Oh, and you can, I mean, the smells get them at first, you know, all that stuff. So that it's like, all of their senses are being pulled to their addiction and then nobody's helping them, you know? And, uh, and it's very frustrating. Yeah. Oh, I always, I, I get, I get on people's cases sometimes where they'll say, Oh, I had a bike because I was making it for my kids. I said, well, you don't like your kids, you know, or you don't like your husband. Why are you giving him that? <laughs> right. <laughs> Why don't, if, if you have, you know, let your husband make his own food. Right. I always said that like, even when uh, my husband was still eating meat, when I first uh, gave up all animal products, because he thought he needed it at the time for muscle building. Now, of course, he's written books that you can build muscle faster on half the protein with plant-based eating. But at the time, he didn't know. So he ate everything like me. He was like raw with a little bit of meat, which was, you know, interesting, but still healthier than most people, right? But I made a huge salad for dinner every night. And he would eat that. And then he'd go outside and barbecue what was his. Because I said, listen, you know, um, the people in your family, they have, the men in his family, heart disease, colon cancer. So you could have a six pack abs and look amazing and still be killing your heart. You can still be getting cancer. So I will not enable that because I love you too much. Just like if he was a smoker, I wouldn't buy cigarettes, even though I couldn't physically stop him from smoking. So I actually encourage people to do that too. If you're the one cooking and you're the one shopping, you buy what's healthy. If they want to go off and get high on their own, that's on them, right? But at least you'll be, you'll feel good about yourself that you didn't enable them. Well, that's what I've been saying for years, but I'm not a doctor and they don't listen to me. They think it's completely unrealistic. Well, lots of people listen to you. <laughs> I know, but about the environment, because one of the things I learned when I went to True North, like I think it was like 13 years ago now, is Dr. Doug Lyle, the psychologist, said we must work harder on our environment than we do ourselves. But so, I, I, I see people succeeding so easily when they're in a clean environment and with so much difficulty when they're not. That's why my, my husband always says environment always wins, right? Which is why you do have to change your environment. Um, it's also why I actually really like working with people in their homes, you know, like anyone who's working with me, they see me the way you do right now, right? We're working like this. They have to make their healing space, their home. That's the first assignment in my group that they're working on. What is your healing space? Because everybody can be healthy if they're isolated somewhere. Cause people ask me that all the time. Why don't you make a clinic where you can lock us up for a month, but then you have to go home. 
then what are you going to do, right? So you have to make your home a safe place for yourself emotionally, physically, food-wise. You've got, your home should be your safe place. And if it's not, that's the work you got to do. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Dixie, who's watching live, wants to know if your coaching, the coaching part of your program is in any of your books. Yes. Goodbye Autoimmune Disease. So Goodbye Lupus was my first bestseller. That is about my story of reversing lupus. That's why it's called Goodbye Lupus, because that was my story. And it's the foods that make you sick and the foods you need for recovery. It's a short to the point book, because that's how I talk, right? It's short to the point. Read this, do it. Then uh, Goodbye Autoimmune Disease, I wrote that because one, people wanted to know if it helped other things. Yes, it, the protocol is not specific to lupus. It's specific to cellular repair and optimal immune function. So it works for heart disease, for diabetes, and for many different autoimmune diseases. So it originally was supposed to be a book where I talked about all the case studies uh, in, you know, and there's RA and MS and, and scleroderma and Sjogren's and diabetes and heart failure and all these different things, right? But then as I was writing it, I was also coaching my group because that's what I do. And I realized, you know what? I feel like people need more because if you didn't just do the diet, the, the work I do every day is not so much teaching the diet. I've released that to the public. It's about how to make yourself do it. So I started writing as I was coaching the group, I started writing the coaching down too. So all of the emotional work in that, in that book is specifically from coaching I gave my group. So I would, you know, take my video, turn that, and then turn that into a chapter. It turns out you can't write the way you speak. It looks awful. So then I had to translate that into into that work. So there's, um, so there's coaching on one, just setting up the lifestyle, you know, your sleep, your self-care, your self-talk, overcoming trauma, depression, anxiety, um, all that healing inner child work, all of that work um, is, is in that as well that I'd been doing up until the point I published it. Fantastic. I don't know if you follow Dr. Greger, but I guess he had some uh, video about like, you're not supposed to add bananas to your smoothie anymore. You know anything about that? Yeah. Listen, Dr. Greger is a buddy of mine. Um, and, you know, we do different things. He provides an amazing public service in that he reads research related to food and then makes videos about it. That is like such an, it's such an extraordinary niche. I love it. But, but what I do is I take care of people all day long and help them heal. So all of my teaching comes from results in people that I work with every day, right? So it's a, it's a very different thing. So the, the study, sometimes the studies, you know, they kind of are catching. They're like, oh, well, I wonder if that's something. And then when you listen to it, you realize no big deal. So the study was referring to that you might not absorb as much nutrition from the greens if you eat it with the fruit and this and that, maybe. Uh, but it hasn't impeded people's ability to recover. So it doesn't really matter, right? Like I've been working with people. We, so I teach, for example, green smoothies are just a way to get the nourishment in, right? My new book is, is about healing meals. And we can talk about that in a moment. But for a long time, I try to just make it as easy as possible for people. You need to get in your dark leafy greens, cruciferous vegetables. You need to get in your flax and chia seeds for mega threes. You need to get your water intake in the easiest way to do that for most people is you blend it, you stick a straw in it and you drink it. And then you don't have to worry about the rest of the day. Cause for people who don't eat raw vegetables, salads are not that exciting. I love salads, but not everybody. Right. So what is one of the easiest way, most delicious ways to make a green smoothie banana, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I have yet to see where a banana has stopped people from reversing disease. And as I said, I've helped. So last time 
I checked and this was like last year when it was for a study that finally just got accepted for publication. I'll tell you about it as soon as I can, like can't. But one of the things I asked was how many people have you helped reverse disease? And I had to go through my files and it was over 4,000 at the time. So like literally more people every day. So I can tell you that whatever impact that banana is having, the, the impact is positive because people are drinking the smoothies and their diseases are going away. So it's just one of those things where it's like, it sounds like it's a big deal and big news, but it's not. Um, if, if I started seeing an issue where like anyone who uses a banana in the smoothie doesn't get better, I'd be like, we gotta do something about these bananas. But it doesn't work that way. Uh, people use it for flavor, they drink the smoothies and their health issues go away. So the results show that whatever it is that they found in that one study, it's not really impacting people in real life who are using them to nourish themselves. I agree. There's too much focusing on minutia instead of getting the big picture in things like, you know, well, you shouldn't use an air fryer. You shouldn't use a microwave. And and that's not why people have these diseases in the yes. first place. Yeah, no, they work. That's what I'm saying is it works. That's why whenever somebody asks me like a random question about that, like I heard that you should do mono meal and not include it. I said, I'm doing what works. Right. And if it didn't work, I would know it. Right. So if there was some problem, it's like when they tried to say that thing about like flax and, uh, you know, arsenic or something, you know, it's like, if that was a problem, then all of my patients would be dead or poisoned. Instead, they're disease-free. <laughs> like, like we have to, there's these th theoretical issues or issues that you only really see like in a lab versus like real life. And you're right, they're dying from overdosing on, on chicken fat and cheese and, and sugar. They're not dying from like, the slightly less absorption of a huge amount of greens because they put a banana in there. Oh my gosh, let that be the worst problem someone has. Absolutely. Well, speaking of getting well, uh, we have someone named Rebecca who writes, have you ever worked with anyone with MG myasthenia gravis? Have had they, have they had success in either of your programs? She says either. So it sounds like maybe you have more than one program. Yeah, I do. Well, people can see me for private appointments. I have a private rapid recovery for those people who don't want a group context for talking about their stuff. But it's a four week private program where they call or text me and then there's the group program. Um, so, yes, absolutely. We have. Gosh, I mean, I just got a message from somebody who I'd worked with years ago with uh, my Santa Gravis who wanted to tell me how she was still really doing well. Um, and that's a, I always give my cell phone number to anyone who's worked with me uh, so they can ask questions. But it's also often the highlight of my day. Um, like I got a text today from a woman whose husband recovered from like abnormal platelets who was on all these chemos and now he has normal platelets and she sent me a picture and you know of how they're doing but yeah my senior graphics absolutely I would also suggest if you're like make sure you're doing uh, physical therapy work and there's even uh, been some benefit uh, to taking creatine uh, to help with the specific issue that you have around acetylcholine but um, yeah absolutely we've had good results with my senior graphics. Thank you. Uh, this question that was written in from Laura is kind of similar to some questions I've heard before for you. And her, the way she phrases it, if I'm otherwise pretty healthy, what's the least amount of chia seeds that I would need to eat in a day as fats digest very slowly for me? Because I've heard other people saying, do I, I love your protocol, but do I have to have flax seeds? Do I have to have chia seeds? How important are these to your protocol? Health maintenance, well, it's essential. I mean, omega-3 fatty acids are essential for uh, many different systems of the body. And um, it's one of those things I try to help people through, you know, like fat phobia where they think like any fat is always going to be body fat or it's always, and it's like, no, 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 that's not how biology works. So the, the physiology is so important of how different things interact in our body. 
mega-3 fatty acids are essential for multiple reasons. So number one, uh, they are the only ingredient that is essential that you must eat in order to create your anti-inflammatory immune system. And your body can't make omega-3 fatty acids. You must consume them. So if people are fatty acid, omega-3 fatty acid deficient, they can make inflammation from all the omega-6 because omega-6 is in everything, not just animal products and oils, but in nuts and seeds and other foods. So, so they can make inflammation, but they can't come back to baseline, which is part of the cause of chronic illness, right? You can get sick, but you can't get yourself back to normal. So it's an essential part of the, the um, to creating your anti-inflammatory immune system. Um, and it's one of the reasons why a lot of people who reach a plateau don't get results in like a really low fat plant-based diet quickly get results on mine is that they're not getting inflammation from their food anymore because they're eating plant-based, but they still don't have the anti-inflammatory immune system. So that's number one. Number two is it is an essential part of creating the membranes around your cells. So we have these membranes uh, around each of our cells and uh, they have fats on the outside. And the reason for that is so we stay waterproof because if our cells weren't waterproof, we'd dissolve into a puddle. That wouldn't be good, right? We couldn't go out in the rain, just, right? So we need fatty acids around our cells. Now the fatty acids around our cells are also responsible for the communication of the cells with the rest of the body, receiving hormones, um, allowing different electrolytes or things or vitamins in and out of the cell. So the omega-3 fatty acids will optimize the cell function and its ability to receive and give signals and release toxins. If you're fatty acid, omega-3 fatty acid deficient, your cells are very rigid, toxins stay in and vitamins and signals don't get in. And so now you're stuck with more toxic, unhealthy cells, right? They're also necessary for the functioning of your brain and your memory and your mood. There was studies years ago of omega-3 fatty acids being effective in ADHD and even bipolar illness. So omega-3 fatty acids, one thing they cannot do, and they can do so much. They should have like a big S on them as a superhero. They cannot form fat cells. They can't. They just don't have the ability to become a fat cell. So great news. You can have omega-3 fatty acids at even high levels. Uh, and really high levels. And all you do is optimize brain function, memory, your immune function, getting rid of inflammation. And because the cells are functioning better because they have that nice membrane with the right cells in it, your metabolism increases. So when you exercise, you lose weight more efficiently. Oh my gosh, now you want to eat like two bottles of fax oil and a whole bowl of flax seeds with almond milk, right? Because you get it all in. So it's something to get excited about, not something to fear. Now, in order to answer the actual question, <laughs> um, for if you are healthy, a handful a day mixed in with your smoothie or you grind that up, put it in some water or throw it on your salad, should be fine. If you're trying to change your health or your metabolism, you want to lose more weight, you want to get more inflammation gone, use more. Um, but yeah, for most people, for health maintenance, a handful a day is perfectly fine. Would a handful be like a couple of tablespoons, you think? Depends the size on your hand. Ah, Okay. <laughs> I think for most people, I got a big hand. So um, most people is probably around a quarter cup or so. But yeah, it's, that's that's your hand. Um, but again, if you're not trying to change your health, but maintain it a handful of days, pretty good. Great. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And uh, you, we have so many questions and we appreciate you answering them. But guys, she does a daily, not a daily, oh, sorry, that'd be something, a weekly live stream every Wednesday at 1230 p.m. Pacific time. It's below. And she does it like me on all the platforms at the same time. So if you didn't get your question answered today, you can try there. We take priority for ones that took the time to write them in at chefaj.com. And this is from Patty, and she says that she's approaching a 10-year post-gastric bypass where she lost 180 pounds and just recently started the hypernourishment smoothie protocol. 
And she also likes to do a green juice a day of celery, ginger, apple, cucumber, and lemon. But her fear is introducing kidney stones. Aside from hydration, are there any suggestions for keeping the risk of getting them from occurring? She likes spinach, but is it okay to eat it if she cooks it separately and not include it as a raw part of the smoothie or juice? Okay, so uh, gastric bypass is one of those conditions that can raise your risk of kidney stones. And so uh, sometimes people will worry about that specifically because it was one case study done where a woman who'd had gastric bypass and was eating like a thousand pounds of spinach a day, got a kidney stone. And then the rest of the, the uh, food world that wants to get rid of us plant-based people are like, see, it'll kill you. Um, number one, most common cause of kidney stone is a diet that's high in meat and dehydration. Those are the reasons I learned about back in medical school. The rare time they mentioned diet was because of kidney stones, meat, high meat diets and dehydration. Those are usually the reason. Um, my husband used to get kidney stones actually before he became plant-based and then they went away. So, and he was hydrated, but he was eating meat with every meal. So for most folks, that's the reason. So he went, he gave up the meat and instead he has like two blenders of smoothie a day and yet no stones, right? But um, gastro bypass does potentially raise your risk. I've worked with a lot of people with gastro bypass. Um, eventually their stomach's stretching up that they can hypernourish and add more food. I'm glad you're doing that. Um, one of the things I've seen a lot is people with gastric bypass are told by their doctors to drink protein shakes, whey protein shakes, and then they developed arthritis. So they got thinner and sicker. So it's very disappointing. The None of the folks with gastric bypass I've worked with have ever gotten stones. So that's good news. They have it. Um, I do recommend if you want to avoid that risk or mitigate the risk, I would just skip the spinach and just use kale, chard. Uh, well, chard could be more. No, let's do kale, uh, cabbage, other cruciferous vegetables. Those have have a lower um, lower level. For most folks, it'll never be an issue. And I've I've done long YouTube videos talking about oxalates and why most people don't need to worry about them at all. But in your case, if you want to just avoid it, just take out the spinach and the chard and the beet greens and just do all the other cruciferous vegetables and uh, and get your health back. Thank you. Could you hold up your book again? Because somebody's asking. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. So this is my, this book was just published last month. It's Goodbye Lupus, Hello Delicious. My husband did make me wear the hat, um, but it's it's funny. So I don't mind it now. He was like, you got to wear the hat. Um, but the reason for this, this book, so Goodbye Lupus, Hello Delicious, it's for everyone. Um, Hypernourishment is, uh, so I teach that you have to, uh, if you want to change your health with hundred trillion cells, uh, overdosing and nutrition is actually the way that I do it. Um, and the easiest way that you can do that is green smoothies, smoothieshred.com free, free smoothies. You can just make them and do it. Um, but I've been doing this a long time. And the biggest thing people always ask me for is what if I don't want to do smoothies or I want to do other things? So this has everything actually. Um, it does have some smoothies in it, but it's mostly other breakfast, um, lunch, dinner, snacks, um, desserts, um, and many different kinds of amazing salads, but also things that are totally not salads um, so that people can have, you know, like nutrient dense meals, uh, things like this. Like if you wanted wraps or things like that, or, or um, like my raw, pasta or things like that. So, and then the dessert section, which has been highly popular, not surprised, <laughs> um, but it's all raw. So they're all raw foods. And oh, they so all the compliant. book is all raw. That was a question in the chat. It's all raw and it's all compliant. And there are pictures of my family in there. 
And um, because we eat the stuff um, and they are much better looking models than me. Um, but um, yeah, even some for my son, Alex, he was an inspiring chef. Um, so it's um, so the dessert section has been very popular. Um, but all of the meals in here are compliant in my programs. So if people um, want to know like what they can eat, the other thing that's really special about this is every recipe in here is either a recipe that I've used personally for my health or they're contributed by people who have graduated from my rapid recovery programs. Like this is from somebody, Sarah, who healed her MS, right? So it's her recipe. So knowing that this isn't just a recipe book where someone, you know, hired a chef and said, make things raw vegan, but that the people who contributed are people who healed their diseases using these recipes. The only exception is my son who would not have existed without me healing. So he counted, uh, he gave some of his dessert recipes, but everything else is mine or from uh, my, my personal clients who've healed. So it's really powerful. And, and some of them even let me put their stories in there. So I, I think it's a really amazing experience to like, to know every recipe in here healed somebody you know, um, and, and they all came from people's hearts and wanting to share them. Um, so I, yeah, I, my book of Lupus has been number one bestseller since 2015 and I knocked myself out of the spot. So now it's number one is this one. And number two is goodbye lupus and goodbye autoimmune also. But, um, it's been really nice. Um, we dedicated it to my son, Alex and, and, uh, and people have been just like, posting about all the recipes they love and everything. So it's been really, really nice. So yeah, so that's on Amazon. Just so people know, um, the uh, I, I wanted to make it less expensive. You probably know is printing a color books are very expensive. Um, so, uh, so I did this paperback version and you can see the colors are very vibrant, um, but in a couple countries like uh, Australia, uh, Japan, some other ones, they won't print it unless it's like the premium hardcover. Premium hardcover should be coming out at the end of the month. So for the people who prefer it, you want that table version, that's the hardcover, um, or the people who can't get it otherwise, that'll be available. We're just waiting for the final proof of the hardcover, but the soft cover has been popular and it's already on on Amazon. Right. Um, Colleen, who's watching live, wants to know if the recipes need, any of them need a dehydrator. They, they don't need to. So there is a short section with some dehydrated recipes. Um, like chia crackers, flax crackers, um, my uh, kale chips, and my uh, my tortillas that I make out of tomato and flax. Um, but it's like four out of the entire book, and they're not necessary. Um, but I included those there for the people who, who wanted them. But all the rest of it, it's four out of this, out of all of this. So you do not need a dehydrator. And even in my uh, in my culture was, I was like, you can leave it out in the sun if it's sunny, if you want to. Um, but yeah, it's a very small amount of, of the book because really I prefer people to eat fresh foods. Right. And Jennifer's saying, but how do you stay raw when you live in a really cold climate? Well, the thing is, um, your nutritional needs don't change based off of your climate, right? Um, your nutrition, your nutrition needs are the same. So you have to find other ways to stay warm. You know, so uh, we have clothing for that. We have fireplaces for that. We have, I have a lady actually who uh, worked with me for getting rid of migraines. She's been successful, but she lives um, in the middle of nowhere in, uh, in in a super cold area of Canada, like with no, like she doesn't even have regular electricity or anything. And she did it, but you know, it's been an amazing thing, but she did it. So you find other ways to stay warm. So if you want Look, I had a today. I'm it's cold for Texas. It's not cold, it's cold for Texas. I had some warm tea 
before I came on, right? Tea is fine, right? So you can use warm tea, hot water with lemon. You can put on what I call my smoothie sweater. If it's cold out and I want to have my smoothie, I might put my smoothie sweater on. You have to find other ways to solve that problem so you can eat what your body needs. So that's just a distraction. Your brain's like, oh, you don't want to eat that. Eat this warm cooked stuff so that you can just stay. There's lots of ways to stay warm. So it's just about problem solving. Those are simple things to, to solve. And I work with a lot of people in very cold areas, Alaska, Canada, and they heal. You know, they just focus on solving the problem so that they can eat what they need. Right. I mean, one of the guests I often have on, Matt, is in Minnesota. It can't get too much colder than that. Yeah. Well, yeah. here's an interesting question because somebody named Jade in the chat is posting it and somebody that sent it in very similar. Her name is Julie. And she says, Dr. Goldner, I have chronic Epstein-Barr and hyperthyroid. I've been vegan for 30 years and I've been doing the starch solution for two, but it hasn't moved the needle. I just started your hypernourishment protocol and I'm so grateful for you. Here's my question. I'm 5'2 and 90 pounds, so I don't need to lose any more weight. Is it okay to add in some beans or tofu or brown rice or sweet? sweet potatoes for a dinner for a little substance. I'm 70 going on 17 and very athletic. Thank you for everything. I seriously love you. And there's a viewer named Jade that also wants to gain weight. Yeah. Okay. So uh, to specifically answer your question, if you are underweight, it's because you're hyperthyroid, right? So your thyroid is a battery pack of your body. Uh, so some people are hypothyroid is one of the most common things where their battery is too slow and they put on weight and they feel cold and slow and foggy. Then there can be the opposite where it's too fast. And while that might sound good to some of you, it's actually no good because then it can cause things like heart palpitations and other kinds of issues. People feel very anxious and sick. So, uh, and it, cause, it can cause you to get super skinny. It can cause thyroid eye disease where the eyes start to bulge out and many other kinds of issues. I've actually been very successful in reversing that uh, where the antibodies go away. I've had people with thyroid eye disease where their eyes actually rotated back and went in, which we can't even do with medication yet. So. That's really excited that he posted his pictures into my group. So um, so you got to focus on is your health goal first, not the weight, right? If you're dealing with disease and the disease is causing you to lose excess weight, then getting rid of the disease solves the problem, right? We can't, you can't eat to gain weight and eat to heal at the same time. It's not going to work. Your body, if you're, if you're working on gaining weight, first of all, you're getting fatter. Because even bodybuilders who eat to gain weight and who are lifting 300 pounds, you know, for squats, they gain mostly muscle and some fat. And that's because they're working hard at it. Unless you're, if you're not doing bodybuilding, you're going to just gain fat if you gain weight. You're not building muscle. A lot of people think that like the number on the scale really matters. And if, if I'm eating more to gain weight, I'm somehow putting muscle on. No, you're not. Not unless you're really working hard. And even then you're going to be putting on some body fat, which goes against what we do for recovery and healing. So, um, so what you do is you eat on plant foods for healing. So if you're trying to do like the full goodbye autoimmune protocol, that is a raw protocol, then go all out and just eat more of it. We had a lady recently who did rapid recovery with my husband privately, and she was a little five foot lady and she weighed 90 pounds and she was eating like over 80 ounces a day of cruciferous vegetables, 80 ounces a day of cruciferous vegetables alone. I'm not talking about the volume of smoothie. I'm talking about how much who was using like, it was like over, a, it, it was over a thousand milligrams. It was a crazy amount. And she was just hungry, right? So you eat until fullness with the on-plan foods. If you're not ready to do an aggressive protocol like that, then you can do hypernourishment with a whole food plant-based diet. Don't do rice. Um, that's That can add inflammation and it makes you fatter. It's not helping you out. 
Um, but if you're afraid to jump in or you need to go more slowly, add hypernourishment and maybe some cooked vegetables or things. See if you can, you know, feel better about it. But if you want to get rid of the disease, what I found works is the raw protocol. So you just make peace with that. You eat as much as you can. Um, you stay on plan. And when the disease goes away, then you'll have a normal body that you can eat foods that and get to a normal weight and, you know, all the other things that you want. Too many people make the weight the goal when they're sick. If you're not sick, the weight being the goal makes sense to me. Like, oh, you want to lose fat? You want to build muscle? Easy. No problem. My husband has a whole book on that, Miracle Metabolism. It tells you which foods to eat with which workouts to get to your goal. But if you are sick, that's the goal. Get you healthy. Then you can deal with the aesthetic part. And that's what the weight is, right? It's the aesthetic part of how I would like to look. Um, so I, I have never had anyone poof out of existence because they ate so much raw food and then they, they went away. Um, it can be a little scary at first for folks who have something like hyperthyroid. So a lot of times people will work with me for that too. If someone is so scared about their weight that they want me to watch them every day, that's a reason to do something like rapid recovery. I will watch you every day. Um, but usually in the first week, if you do the raw protocol, most people lose five pounds in the first week and that's glycogen. Uh, any weight loss program that guarantees you'll lose five pounds in the first week and they're selling you on that, you'll lose five pounds the first week anytime uh, you get rid of like really high glycogen foods. Um, but that's not body weight. That's just glycogen. It'll come right back. Um, but if you're already a lightweight, usually it doesn't keep going. And once you get well, it'll come back up. So hopefully that answered it for both people. Thank you. I want to respect your time, but this one question is so fun. Would you mind me asking it? Sure. Thank you. It's Patricia. And she said, Dr. Goldner, when you talked about how your husband put you on a diet to lose weight for your wedding and also healed your lupus, what did you actually eat? Because people like a little personal. Uh, well, the funny thing is that makes it sound like he put me on a diet, like he wanted me to lose weight. So I just want to clarify on his behalf uh, that um, he told me I was perfect as I was and he did not think I needed to go on a diet. But as a woman getting ready for her wedding, I insisted. <laughs> so just, I wanted to clear that up. So nobody thinks that he, he pressured me in any way. Um, yeah, so I, I did it. So back when I did it, I didn't know about smoothies. So I, first of all, invested in a, um, in a gallon water jug from Walmart. And it was a camping jug that had a strap so you could carry it around when you were camping. My new one, oh, this isn't so new. I'm surrounded by water bottles right now. This one just has a little handle. But back when I was working, this is my, my, my water for the day, right? But this is a gallon jug. But um, back then it was like, it was kind of oblong and it had a strap. So all day long, when I was walking around the hospital, I had that strap over my back. So I was very motivated to drink my water because a gallon of water weighs about eight and a half pounds. And that's a lot on your back. So uh, I very quickly uh, would get that water done for the day, no problem. And I've literally changed overnight, by the way, folks. Uh, I was not born eating this way. I've overcome all my own addictions. Uh, before that, the day before, the only thing that I drank was coffee and Diet Coke. So I went from coffee and Diet Coke all day, or sometimes an energy drink, to a gallon of water a day overnight, because I was like, oh, I'm doing this now. I'll do this. So uh, a lot of water drinking, a lot of urinating, but I did it. Uh, and then I didn't know about smoothies. So I would buy uh, bags of broccoli, cauliflower, and other raw vegetables. And I went to Costco and got the giant guacamoles. You know, they, they sell these party packs, one party pack a day for me. So whenever I would sit down to chart, because back then we used our hands and things called pens and we charted and it took a little time to write things out. 
Um, so, so back then when I would sit, this is 20 years ago, I, I'm from the 1900s. So, you know, it's back. So we, we would write the chart. And so every time I sat down, I would open up my little cooler and I would just munch on my, on my raw veggies and I would chart and then I'd pack it all up, put that away and then move on. So I just munched and crunched my way through it. Um, I always like to joke that I could have bitten off a car door with my jaws. They were so strong. Uh, now it's so much easier. I still like to munch and crunch and I will eat like lots. If you put guacamole in front of me, I'll finish whatever's around me to eat it. But, um, but it's, I can work and do this now. So, uh, yeah, my, my, uh, every once in a while, some of my old patients from the nonprofit, I used to work with, um, youth coming out of homelessness and foster care and juvenile justice. And, um, and so most of them lived off of Cheetos and, and energy drinks and they, some of them still follow me the, the, they found me. It's actually pretty cool to come to my live sometimes. And this is a long time ago. This is like over a decade ago. And um, they'll tell you, I always had a giant veggie platter on my desk. So anyone who came for their visit with me, uh, I also invited them to eat. And so for many of them, it was the first time having vegetables was sitting with me and uh, and eating them. So yeah, I just use the good old jaws. But I'm one of those people that like, I really, when I get focused on a goal, I go after it like my dog Budkiss used to go after ambulances, like nothing could stop him. Um, I think it's something about being told I was going to die 30 years ago as a teenager. I was like, there's no time for messing up. I got to go. So I just made the choice. I bought the food. I ate it. And I and I did the work. Well, Dr. Goldner, you're very inspiring. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Great. And guys, check out the book. The link is below. And thanks all of you for watching another episode of Chef AJ Live. Please come back tomorrow at 11 a.m. Pacific time for our resident plant-based physical therapist, Eileen Kapsoftis. And she's going to talk about how to strength train at every age. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. And like you, Dr. Goldner, now we got to like end it there and then end it there. Remember we talked about this? So yep, absolutely. it's Bye, a double ending. Take care. Get the book. Bye, everybody.